All right, hey guys, it's Luke with LukeHumphreyRunning.com, and today I want to talk a little bit about the 80-20 rule. Uh, and a lot of it's just because I've seen it back in social media again. Um, I've seen a lot of posts uh, about the 80-20 rule. Uh, I've seen it mostly in regards to more beginner to intermediate runners uh, with the assumption that more advanced runners kind of naturally um, adhere to, to the 80-20 rule. Uh, but uh, I felt like it was a good time to put my own take on it. Uh, I've been uh, personally, not personally, you know, from a coaching standpoint, not blasted, but definitely I think some, some false uh, information put out there. And uh, um, caused, well, the nice thing is it caused me to look at my own training and what I had for people in our training plans. And now that I've looked at it, I actually feel very good about it. So, uh, but it really, I just wanted to talk about in terms of more of the marathon and maybe a little bit in the half marathon, um, just because I think we're seeing it again now as I'm, as I'm writing this, it's, it's uh, already uh, August 8th. And so you're seeing a lot more, uh, well, let's just say marathon training and half marathon training is heating up insert dad joke, uh, but it, it is. It's it, You're starting to see people shift more towards the bigger workouts, the bigger uh, marathon-specific workouts is where, you know, we have August and September and, you know, really racing. If people are trying to go for last chance qualifiers for Boston, they've, they've got, you know, about a month. Uh, and then you get really into things like around time of Berlin, end of September, and then October really kicks it off with most of the fall marathons and then into into november so you are seeing that shift in athletes doing that bigger type of workout and so it makes sense that you're seeing that 80 20 workout because i think there's this you know perception that you're doing this big volume and it's taking up a big percentage of your workouts and i kind of want to just go into what that actually looks like and then actually what what is 80 20 really mean and in some kind of go let's go over some of the the true definitions of it and some of the kind of some of the, the gray zone where you could where you can run into some some trouble so uh, if you're watching the video I have a chart up on there and I'm just going to leave that up there because we're going to be referencing that quite a bit and you probably don't need to see my face made for radio uh, all the time so I'm just going to leave that up there but if you're if you're listening uh, I have a uh, pretty standard chart of exercise intensity versus um, blood lactate levels so along the Along the y-axis, you have blood lactate, and across the x-axis, you have exercise intensity. And as most of us are well aware, the harder you work out, the higher the blood lactate goes. Um, but it's not a straight line. It's, a, it's definitely a curved line. And so it'll kind of just gradually, gradually, gradually increase, and then starts to jump up. And then once it gets to a certain point, it jumps up really almost exponentially. And so that's that's what we're going to be referencing a lot about right now. And so um, when you when you talk about the 80-20 running in particular, the, it is basic definition. It means 80% of your running is, is easy and 20% of your running is, is hard. And that's, you know, the problem with that is it seems awful subjective. What's easy for some is hard for others. So how are we going to define easy and hard. And when you look at the most recent popular, you have to look no further than, you know, Matt Fitzgerald's book, 80-20, 80-20 running. He's got a whole business built around it and does um, some really good stuff with it. But he uses ventilatory threshold. That's pretty universal, I think, is to use ventilatory threshold 
um, as your first kind of line there. And if you're looking at the, um, the, the chart, you have it says VT1, and then further to right says VT2. And on the extremes of that, you have 50% VO2 max on the left and 100% VO2 max on the right. So you can, as you can assume at 50% VO2 max, your blood lactate levels are very low. At 100% VO2 max, they are very high. Um, and that first kind of threshold is the VT1. And so, uh, you, and then the second one is where the 20% marker kind of comes into play is uh, a fancy term called respiratory compensation threshold. Woo. Uh, and so you see the, like I said, you see, see these labeled as VT1 and VT2. And then, so on the left of VT1, you have zone one. And on the right of VT2, you have zone three. And that's, zone three is where the 20% the comes from. Zone one is where the 80% comes from. And so you're using the, the talk test a lot for this from a practical standpoint. So talk test, um, you know, VT1, you see a noticeable increase in your breathing rate, but you can talk fine. Um, VT2, um, you, you really get no further than a couple words at a time, and, you're, and uh, so you're, if you're trash talking your uh, training partner, it's really more like uh, a word, huff and puff, another word, huff and puff. You know, you can do it, but it's 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 getting harder and harder. And the fat, you know, once you get past this point, you you aren't going to be able to talk in any kind of fashion for any time, very long. So um, I just I, I went over the the chart so. Um, what that means is, is that blood, as blood lactate levels increases, as exercise intensity increases, the harder you exercise, the more the blood lactate increases, which we talked about. The byproduct of this is carbon dioxide, which is, which is what is causing the breathing rate to increase. It's got to get rid of that. And so your breathing rate will adjust as you know the needs to get rid of that increase so at a lower level you know you can you can get that co2 out pretty comfortably with just a slight increase of breathing rate you get the higher you exercise the harder that becomes to get rid of them so the faster you're breathing the harder your breathing is in order to try to get rid of that so it's a, it's a practical way to measure how hard you are working in conjunction with with other data uh, and so when we're looking at the 80-20 rule in, 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 in the figure, what's the biggest thing that would stick out to you? And to me, it's that there's a lot of, it's a lot of very easy running and a little bit of pretty darn hard running. Like zone three to me is pretty hard. Like we'll talk about it a little bit, but that's, that's hard running. You know, it's not, you know, it's not something that, you know, sometimes it's labeled comfortably hard. I don't think there's anything comfortably hard about that, but that's just, that's just me. Um, but then the biggest thing to me is that you have a bunch of running in the middle that's pretty much left alone. And you read a lot of these articles and things like that. It's 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 really kind of the no-fly zone, right? Like anything in there is not acceptable. It's not going to produce any type of gains. You know, that's gains with a Z, right? Like you're not going to get anything from that. And I just think that's tough because we'll talk about it a little bit. But it, but what you're left the, – the main idea of that, though, is it's polarized training, right? You have very easy – very hard. You have one end of the extreme, the other end of the extreme. The middle is pretty much left alone, and that's what's called polarized training. Uh, and many of you are starting to connect the dots here in terms of we've other heard along the way. So you have things like hard easy principle or hard days followed by easy days. All those lines of thinking, right? At the end of the day, it's all related. Like if your your hard day is hard, you just got to be followed up with a very easy day. If you're going out there and then doing something, you know, fairly hard the next day, you're you're kind of 
avoiding that principle and, and, and hurting your training. So it all, it, it might not be the same process, but it is all along the same line of thinking, right? It's all kind of the same general idea. And so for me, the question becomes, at what pace or effort does these, these thresh lines, thresholds line up? So for VT1, that's going to be pretty comfortable pace. That's going to be anywhere from 50 to 75% of your VO2 max. That's a big range, right? So 50% uh, of your VO2 max is probably getting up and walking around for most trained runners, where 75% is going out and just going for a run. But if, if you're a newer runner, as soon as you start running, you're probably going to be crossing that 50% mark. And um, that's not going, you know, so th there's just a lot of spectrum even within within that threshold, right? There, it can mean a lot of things. Um, and I'd say most recreational runners are consistently running their easy stuff, say 60% of, of uh, their VO2 max. And that's a pretty easy pace. It's slower than your marathon race pace. As far as VO2, or VT2, sorry, as far as mineral area threshold two, that is the point where things start getting pretty tough. This is the point where lactic acid begins to accumulate and it's almost an exp exponential rate. You're not going to be able to sustain that pace for long. I've always known it is the pace you can hold for about an hour. And if you're looking at that chart, on both of those you see VT1 and VT2, or I'm sorry, LT1 and LT2, which meant out lactate threshold one, where you start seeing a noticeable increase in blood lactate levels, and then LT2, which is the one we're currently discussing, where it's kind of, once you get past that point, even if you stay at that point there, your blood lactate levels are gonna increase no matter, no matter what. It's just your body can't keep up with um, expelling the CO2 and recycling that lactic, uh, that lactate through the bloodstream and converting it back into glucose and things like that. It just can't keep up with it, so it's going to just accumulate in the blood. You also see something there called MLSS, which stands for maximal lactate steady state. And that's always kind of the term I've known it as. That's, that's the pace you can kind of hold for 60 minutes. And, um, you know, that correlates pretty well with like um, 10 to 15K pace for a lot of runners, a lot of recreational runners. 20K pace is a very solid hour pace for, for males. Um, you know, it's like I always think about the the New Haven 20K, which is the U.S. Championships. Everybody went there in September uh, over Labor Day weekend. And so, like, the goal would always be to break an hour for that 20K. Um, and that was always put on, like, it would be a very, very solid time. I think the the women's world record in the 20K is just under that. And the world's uh, half marathon world record for women is 103. So women are knocking on that door. So for them, it's probably closer to the hour that hour pace for elite women is probably going to be more like um, 18k, right? So some something 18 to 20k, um, whereas men it's definitely 20k, and then you have um, the best of the best half marathoners under a half marathon for an hour. So you know, but you you scale that back, and so a lot of my athletes are training for like you know 40 minute 10ks, which means you're probably going to be more like um, 12 to 15k for. Um, for uh, the hour, right? So big range there. Um, how are we measuring 80-20? And so from my understanding, the original research was measured measuring the breakdown in terms of number of workouts per week. I think per week. I don't know if it was per week, per 10 days, per 14 days, or 21 days. If it were 10 days, it'd be easy, right? Because you just have eight, eight workouts easy, 10, two workouts hard. Um, I guess if the, if the athletes were doing... Um, 
uh, two a days, you could probably work that out a little easier, but for most people, you're going to do it two a days. But um, if it's anything else, basically, you know, 10 or 20 days, then you're, you're, you're essentially doing partial workouts, and that's not exactly practical for most for most people. So the mo- most common ways you see it now are by training volume, whether it's miles or kilometers or in minutes. And so those are probably the easiest ways to measure your 80-20 over the course of some stretch. So for most people, it's going to be a week. Um, I could definitely see it being over 10 days or over two weeks as well. I could see that working out for a number of my athletes. Um, and so then it comes down to what about that middle area? And so I don't, because I don't really want to discuss whether or not I think the 80-20 principle is valid, because I do. I, I, I think there's, um, I don't think it's really up for debate, honestly. I think that most people um, will benefit well. And the biggest thing I see with my athletes, or I see athletes who read Hansen's Marathon Method book, they want to push the envelope on those easy days, and I think they would benefit greatly from slowing way down on those easy days. But we have that middle area, and that is, for me, where the debate really is. Because I think that, overall, I think, like I said, HMM, cumulative fatigue, you know, whatever training you want to call it, is along that spectrum of 80-20 line of thinking, where the big difference is is that big elephant in the room, and that's zone two, right? That zone two in that chart. And to me, as a half marathon, I, you know, I specialize in the marathon, uh, and the half marathon. And so I see that as a big problem. Why? Because that's exactly where marathon and half marathon pace lie for all my athletes, right? And so from my perspective, that's where it gets cloudy and it loses some of the practicality for my runners in the truest definition where it's got to be 20% in that zone three and 80% in that zone one. I think, I think ultimately that zone two has to be included uh, at some point. All right, and so I want to go into a little bit of research here. And so I, I was looking at a lot of Matt Fitzgerald stuff. I was looking at just whatever I could see other coaches writing about. Um, and I found one article cited a study that compared recreational 10, 10K runners uh, that were following the true 80-20 ideals versus another group which utilized that zone two area. And so it was, it was to me, it was really it was eye-opening. One, because it was looking at pretty much what I wanted to see. And two, I think it really opened the door to say, well, that what's really practical in the real world, right? And so especially if you're a marathoner uh, or a half marathoner, what is actually going to be beneficial? So let's take a look at some of the, the basics of this study. Uh, the two groups were very similar. Uh, they were from age, uh, years trained, weight, uh, all that good stuff. They were all pretty similar. One group utilized polarized training, like we've been talking about. The other group utilized training that they described as between the thresholds, basically saying that they included a significant portion of their training uh, in that zone two area. They both did the same base training and then the same number of weeks in their designated group. They both ran five to six days per week. They both ran an average 50K per week and peaked up at about 70 kilometers per week. One group in group one, they acquired a training distribution of 75%, 75% in zone one, 5% in zone two, 20% in zone three. So a little bit in zone two, but 5% on those miles is, you know, that's more of just like, you know, maybe doing a lot, maybe doing a run with your buddy and you got carried away a little bit and you picked up the pace a little bit. So it's not anything, anything crazy. Group two, they acquired a distribution of 45% in that zone one, 35% in zone two, and 20% in zone three. And pay, remember those numbers, because I'm gonna come back to that. Each program had two hard days per week. They also did the same strength training. 
In group one, the 10K times went down from 39.18 to 37.19. So pretty big drop, right? In group two, the times went from 39.24 to 38.04. Uh, this was not found to be statistically significant. And if you look at, but if you just look at those two groups, that's a pretty big difference. You know, that's a, that's a very, you know, group one was actually almost a minute, you know, 40 seconds faster on average. Um, so in group one, they improved about 5%, and group two is about 3.5%. But they did say that was not statistically insignificant. However, the authors did some other fancy analysis, and they found that zone one training was more likely to be the factor for improvement. And I admit, I, don't, I didn't necessarily understand that part of it, but that was not the focus. But I think it all comes clear as we talk about next. To me, there's other details that are buried in there and if we pull them out i think we can really take a better look at their info versus how people actually train so in group one if they were doing 20 percent of their volume in the fastest zone which you know is anything from essentially 15k pace to you know all out um yes anywhere from 10k to 14k per week um so basically six to eight miles uh of worth of speed work let's just say um, and so that if they're training for a 10k, that's plenty. I don't see, I don't necessarily see an issue because if they're doing a 10k, they're getting 10k worth of speed a, a week. I wouldn't see any any problem with that. And if they were running five to six days a week, that means they're running three to four more days per week. Which really, if you take it out, they're surrounded. They're surrounded by you have e you basically be going easy, hard, easy, hard, easy, and maybe another easy and then doing another workout. So you don't really have an opportunity to run very hard because you just did a hard workout and you're probably naturally just going to be slower on those days. Um, so to me, that, that makes perfect sense, right? They were, they were working hard, but they were able to recover from that work. But to me, if you look at that second group, keep in mind, they still did 10 to 14 kilometers in their weekly schedule at zone three, that fast zone. But 35% of their volume was in that zone two. So that's another 17 to 24 kilometers at paces that would be anywhere from marathon pace to 20K pace. That's huge, right? One, that's a huge range, right? Like, so there's a big difference between marathon pace and, you know, let's say half marathon pace, right? That's a significant difference for one. And who actually would do that in a 10K schedule? I can't think of any plan out there that would do that to a person training for a 10K. I've looked at a lot and I just, I don't, I've never seen it. So I get blasted for our 10K and a half marathon plans all the time and they don't even approach that kind of level. So what I'm thinking is really the people in that group too, they're probably just thankful they were able to finish a 10K at the end of that study because that's a lot of fairly hard training. It's not hard by the definition that we're talking about, but it's definitely not comfortable either, right? And so that's a, that's a whole different um, level of what you would say would be a moderate type of training, right? And so to me, like, that, that this, this just doesn't represent reality, right? Like, I'm not, I would never have an athlete do 20K worth of work at half marathon pace to marathon pace in a 10K schedule. That's just not going to happen, right? And so if they're doing it themselves, that's on them, right? And so... Then that would be the one thing I would look at. But if they're following a schedule, I can't ever see that really happening in a situation. All right. So my overall takeaways, uh, shorter distances, polarized works very well. I believe mainly that this is because 
um, your race distance lies in that 20% zone, right? And that's a big thing I want you to look at too, is like if you're in that, uh, you know, it's 80, say 85% of your VO2 max and above, that encompasses basically, you know, pretty close to 10K pace to 5K pace. And if you're racing those distances, then that makes sense because that is what is pretty close to what you're racing for on race day. You know, that's what your pace is going to be for race day. Um, so, you, like I said, you get lots of work at your race pace. You will able, you'll still able to get uh, more per week than the actual distance is, right? So you can, if you're racing a 5K and you're getting 10K worth of work in, you're, you're, you're doing a lot of stuff above and beyond what the distance you're actually going to race. 10K, you're probably getting a little bit more. Anyway, so there's a lot going on there. I love that, right? That's perfect. So, but the rest, the rest of your um, time is recovering from that fast work, your build, your general aerobic fitness, yada, yada, yada. So that process works very well. The other thing is, uh, at some point, you will have to get more specific to the group that you are working with. So threshold shift as fitness changes or as running ability changes, absolute volumes will shift as volume increases. Is there a cap, right? So for example, if I'm running 100 miles a week, do I wanna run 20 miles a week at 20K pace or faster? Probably not, right? So ultimately you're gonna be limited. It might actually be less, right? So the more miles you run, those percentages, you might actually be less than 20%, you know, um, based on, you know, based on level. Um, and I think you have to have, to wanna to have some leeway how far you extend zone one, because you have to, and you also have to think about break down your zone three even more specifically. For example, of that 20% of hard running, how is that broken up? Is that all at VT2 level? Is there some faster than that? Just you know, just keep that in mind as runners begin go from beginner to novice to more advanced. Your idea of the 20% um, has to change and become more specific. And I would say zone one too, right? Because zone one could almost encompass fairly close to marathon pace, right? Like it could come not to marathon pace, but it's going to get pretty pretty close, right? So the more advanced you get, the faster you can run at that VT1 level and, and be closer to that marathon pace, whereas a, a, a newer runner is probably not going to come anywhere near that that um, VT1 pace. And their marathon pace is going to probably just be a little bit beyond that, right? So that gap will close down the more advanced you get, the more recreational you are, or new runner you are, lower mileage, the further that gap is going to be. So those are all things you have to keep in mind, whether you're a coach working with athletes or you're a self coach, you know, you have to keep that in mind. So, you know, it, you have to take your level into account with what you're doing. All right. Big thing I really want to get to is how does that transfer to marathon training? And so as I alluded to it before, I think 80-20 rule gets a little bit cloudy when training for races where you'll be racing in that gray zone, that zone two, whatever you want to call it, during during the early parts of a, a Hanson's Marathon Method plan, uh, primary goal is this sh a little bit of speed, which would be your hard, and some shorter paces in zone two. And so right off the bat, the 80-20 rule is tossed a little bit. Because um, mo for most people, that three miles of speed, like in the beginner plan um, and in the advanced plan as well, not even going to put, put you close to um, 20%, right? You, you know, it's going to put you more like under 10%. Um, and so... You will be doing some marathon pace, but it's short as well. So even if you add that in, you're probably going to be less than 80-20. It's not going to be truly above VT2. It's probably going to be slightly below VT2. So right off the bat, you're incorporating some one and some higher portions of VT2, right? So you're not going to be that 
that write in those ratios. Once you get into the race specific stretch of the plan, we are doing anything, we're not really doing anything that's faster than VT2 in the traditional sense. So we're not doing anything faster than MLSS or a pace that we can hold for 60 minutes, right? So if you, the tempos clearly aren't, and if they are, you probably need to adjust your goal. And the strength isn't, right? The strength is 10 seconds faster per mile than that. That's going to, so you're basically gonna start at like the the bottom half of VT, of, of zone two, and work into like the middle part of VT2 on the strength. So none of nothing you're doing is in even above VT2, right? It's all zone two, lower, lower half, second half, you know, the bottom half of that. Maybe creeping up into a little bit of the, you know, two thirds of that uh, zone two. Um, and so it really doesn't go. But it, it, would I classify that as easy? Would I even classify that as moderate? No. I would say if you talk to most people, um, it that are doing those plans, they would not say that tempos are, are moderate to easy, and they wouldn't say strength is moderate to hard. It's fairly hard, right? Like it's, 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 it's not comfortable, it's not easy, and it's not moderate either. It's, it's going to be hard, but it's, it's hard at a different level, right? Like where 5K pace is hard because it's, it's an acute stress, right? And where tempos are hard is that it's like, it's a grinding effort for a long time, and it doesn't feel good, especially with all the training that's already in your, in your system, right? So a lot going on there. So now let me see where I left off here. Uh, if you were to break down the classic HMM plan, you're pretty close to 60 miles a week once you're in that stretch. Um, so out of that 60, you'd be running six miles worth of strength, eight to 10 miles worth of marathon pace work. So this will all be surrounded by long run and easy running. So including easy runs, warm ups, cool downs, long runs, your total easy volume is about 75 to 80%. The other 20-ish percent really comes out of zone two. We're not even really close to zone three at that point. However, like the 5K and 10K training, that 20% is all race specific, right? That's where I think you have to look at what your definition of hard is because when I think you talk to anyone, like I said, doing those marathon plans, even half marathon plans, they would say that the strength and tempos are far from easy, but they're not the breakdown, gut busting that the 5K pace work is too, right? But what about half marathon training? So I, I don't think, I don't really wanna to get too much into it because the more I thought about it, I'm like, probably needs its own blog, right? I think I need to just kind of break that down because you have your own unique challenges. You know, you take a person who is a two hour half marathoner, their needs are going to be a lot different than a 115 half marathoner. You know, take a two hour marathoner, you're almost training them like a marathon runner. Take a 115 half marathoner and you're really training them to like, get through 10K and, and basically be able to, to hold on to the, the second half of the race, right? Um, so yes, you can get threshold work in, but as far as race-specific work, they'd fall in the upper portion of the gray area of training. That 20% might include everything from half marathon pace and faster. So in this training, you'd probably avoid doing much, if any, at marathon pace. This might keep the percentages about 80-20, but the 20% still not going to include everything above VT2, right? So half marathon pace, no matter what level of athlete I'm working with, I'm not working with any sub 60 minute half marathoners. So they're not, they're gonna be kind of the upper side of VT2 or of zone two, kind of nudging up to the bottom of VT2, uh, but they're not going to be cross that threshold, right? So that you still have that, we're gonna have to adjust zone, we're gonna have to adjust that 80-20 ratio, but it's not going to be, it's not going to look like that traditional 20% above in that zone three. We're only gonna have a little bit in zone three, but a little bit more in a high part of Z of zone two. So you almost need to break it up 
zone one, zone two A, two B, and then zone three. And I think you could probably get a little bit more specific with it, but all right. So final takeaways, 80-20 uh, principle, great for separation from easy and hard days. I love it. I have zero question with it. Um, but in the truest sense of the idea, you're left with a giant gray zone that is a supposedly a no-fly zone. And the problem I see with that is that training adapt adaptations don't occur just at those two thresholds, and it doesn't offer any guidance for races where the race you'll be running will fall smack in the middle of that gray zone. And so for me, the, the polarized view based on VT1 and VT2 per se, it doesn't necessarily work when you're talking for marathon and half marathons, but rather you have to be more specific to what your race distance is. So 20% for, so for the marathon, I feel like that 20% is really marathon pace and faster. For the half marathon, marathon I think it's 20, that 20% is really half marathon pace and faster. And then the rest of the, your 80% still stays the same in that zone one range. It's your 20% where it has to, you have to widen that gap of what it actually includes. Um, and the, and I, it means like I was already written, had written most of this and I, I was reading a little bit more on Matt Fitzgerald and reading what he says in the Resilient article that he was interviewed in. And he basically said the same thing where you have to include, like if you're doing a marathon um, uh, run, that has to include, that 20% has to include what that marathon pace was done, right? But the biggest difference is when I was looking through his 8020 book is it's a lot of, uh, gosh, it's like, um, I don't see a lot of just marathon pace work. I see it like almost like uh, interval work placed within a long run or a fast finish long run or something like that, which I do think it's great, but I do think you have to spend um, a fair amount of time at that pace, at that effort in one stretch where you can really kind of figure out how to grind it out and you really practice your fueling and things like that. And I do think that there are physiologic, because you get, the truth is when you talk about running economy, what you spend your time at the pace. So if you spend a lot of your time at a pace that's slower than marathon pace, you're going to be very efficient at that pace. But if you don't spend any time at marathon pace, you're not, you're going to be less efficient than if you had spent a lot of time at marathon pace. So that's why I still truly, truly believe in doing longer tempo runs, a lot of marathon pace running during the week. And you can, certainly can do those long runs where it's in there. And I give those to a lot of my athletes, but it's in conjunction with, it's, and it's for more advanced athletes who can maybe extend that or doing higher mileage, it can extend um, uh, how much time they're spending at marathon pace, right? So, and that's something we can talk about later too, where I think that uh, um, you, you can look at like what other coaches say in terms of what are absolute numbers of, of how much, how much long run should, my, should I have? How much marathon pace running should I have? How much threshold should I have? Speed, you know, all that stuff. We can actually give specific numbers like what a week would actually look like. And that might be another topic for uh, another blog. But whew, long winded there. So, um, so yeah. And, and the other thing I would say too is the, I was reading a lot of where like marathon pace is almost was really kind of described as a moderate pace. Because um, that zone two is what's called, you know, air quotes, moderate. And I just, I don't buy that, right? For most, you know, like, uh, it's not necessarily, I don't know. It's just not, it's either easier, it's marathon, or it's, you know, um, above and beyond that, right? And so I think that you have to be careful with that. I don't, I don't, I would not consider marathon pace a moderate, moderate pace. Um, 
And so I would argue that most of my athletes and myself, they would, they would not consider that a marathon. They would not consider that moderate as well, and definitely not strength, strength pace. Um, I think if you are in a situation where you would consider a marathon a moderate pace, you probably need to look at what your overall training looks like, what your goal time selection is, and what your training volume is. And so I do see that with, with say, four-hour-plus marathoners and maybe mar- people who they've run other races, but they've never trained for a marathon. And so four hours just looks like a good number, but there's not a lot of like physiological backing for that. And so they set up all their training assuming that four hours would be where they need to be. Um, and that might be too slow or too fast. And if it's too slow, then that kind of throws off, you know, what your actual training zones would be. You'd actually need to kind of measure what like your threshold pace would be and things like that. And then you would have actually something to have a speci- more specific time goal on, right? But Overall, I don't think you have to make it harder than it needs to be. So keep your easy days easy. Keep your hard days in check for the purpose and, and for what the purpose of the workout is, right? So if it's a marathon pace, it's not necessarily to get a specific physiological adaptation. It's really more um, becoming more efficient at race pace, to practice our fueling at race pace, to practice our hydration at race pace, to put long efforts in there to get an idea of what marathon race pace is going to feel like on race day and all those other things and you are getting physiological adaptations to that but there's other reasons too why we're why we're doing it and so you can't just get caught up and say well physiologically i'm not getting as much benefit as if i would just do this at 20 percent of my you know of 85 percent of my vo2 max right like yeah sure but there's a lot of really good things happening at the workout you're doing so just keep that in mind um, keep the majority of your training on the easy side of things and don't get caught up in setting easy run best and i'm talking about all you strava segment lovers, uh, local legends, whatever you want to be. Um, your easy run personal best don't matter. Um, if you are that competitive, try shifting your focus to how close you can come to the prescribed pace and effort and not just how fast you can do it. And if you can do that, that sets you up to be more consistent runner, probably a better racer, and it also doesn't force you into absolutes when there doesn't need to be. Because at the end of the day, I don't think you know, there's a lot of talk of absolute on the 80-20 rule, but I think there has to be more generalities of the 80-20 rule. And that's just kind of my personal thought on it. Um, and if you look at our plans, I think you would see that we follow for the vast majority of our plans where 80% of your running is easier, 20% is more race specific or faster. And I'll just leave it at that. So that's where I feel like the 80-20 really should take shape and how it can really benefit really any runner at any level um, to become their best. And, and ultimately, it allows you to handle more mileage, run more consistently like we talked about. And if you can do those things, that's what's really, truly going to lead towards big improvements down the road, no pun intended, is being more consistent and having a better idea of why you're doing what you're doing. And just naturally, I think you'll gravitate more towards that 80-20 ratio. All right, so that's it for this week, and I appreciate you listening. If you do need a training plan, please go to www.finalsurge.com slash coach slash Luke Humphrey Running. I have over 200 training plans um, as of right now of August 2022. All of our marathon plans you can find in power, pace, and heart rate, uh, and we're adding the other plans as we speak. It's just a little bit tedious, but uh, yeah, go ahead and... Um, and try that out. We are with our partners, Final Surge. You have access to structured workouts. You can drag and drop to customize the plans however you want. You have lifetime access to the plans. 
and all that good stuff, right? And so you have, and then you have access to our training community, whether it's in the Facebook group or on my site. We have a really nice little community there. So again, that's finalsurge.com slash coach slash Luke Humphrey Running. You can find a plan. We have plans from 5K all the way up to 100 miles. All right, that's it, and I will, uh, I will talk to you later. All right, have a good week.